Woo! Welcome to the Meeple Stirrup Show, Designers Discussing Design. We're on episode 89. Nerds of a feather like to stick together. That's right. And uh, we have our regular host back together. It's like a reunion show or something. We got Sen Fong Lim. Hello. And we also have Tiffany Cares, the one tar. Hello. Hi. And she's upstairs, so hopefully the animals won't attack her as much. <laughs> when animals attack. With puppy kisses. Yeah, yeah. yeah. They're, they're good it's animals, all, right? It's all attacking they're good and dogs. And so, yeah, we have a great show for you. We will be getting to them shortly. We have Stephen Sauer, uh, obviously a, a close and dear friend of mine. We've co-designed a few games together. He's a member of the Game Artists of Canada. And why he's going to be on tonight is because he's actually one of the founders and regular attenders of the Designer Night at Snakes and Lattes. And then we also have J.R. Honeycutt, one of the co-hosts of Nerd Nighters, who you know, really is the, the ins- inspiration and kind of uh, we built off of their shoulders this show. And uh, not only is JR, giants, right? That's right. And, and not only is JR work for our town and do lots of playtesting, but he's also part of a beautiful community of gamers where they schedule meetups throughout the Dallas-Fort Worth area, Nerd Nighters, uh, and we're going to have him tell you a little bit about their meetups as well, because our, our show is about gamers getting together and specifically doing sometimes some play testing and things like that. But before we get there, I'm curious, Sen, what games have you been playing lately? Oh, well, it was Project Play over the weekend. So uh, Project Play in Forest City Comic Con in London, Ontario, Canada, usually the first weekend of November. So it is my birthday weekend and we get to play games and do stuff. So I played a lot of games. I got Deception for my birthday, so played that finally, uh, enjoyed it. Uh, so that's Gray Fox Games and Jolly Thinkers, uh, published that in China. Um, played this really cool game um, from our friends at Foxmind in Quebec and Israel um, called Match Madness. Uh, and oh, it's you really, played that. I yeah, yeah, it's got these really cool components. Uh, I just like the components, but I also like the game because it's totally up my alley. It's uh, just visual, spatial, rotation stuff, So, uh, and it's fun. Uh, played um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles uh, with Ooh. the boys the other night, finally. And it's really cool, actually. This uh, I'll show you guys this. Uh, this is why I love um, the oh, game. Oh, you're, you're showing community. the Master Splinter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, you know, the game community is really awesome. I don't know if you guys can see this up here, but... Um, Eli, my son, drew this picture right here, this Master Splinter Click, click on the picture. It'll make it bigger. That is a good idea, sir. All right. So he drew this picture, and I just posted it up in the community because it all it said, you know, thank you, Kevin, uh, from Eli, um, because our friend Kevin uh, Wilson is the designer of the game, and Kevin Eastman is the artist of the original Ninja Turtles. Uh, and so he said, thank you, Kevin, put it up. And then the community took the picture and made a card out of it because it was the first fan art <coughs> excuse me based on the game and so this is a custom card that they made for Eli which is awesome so that's one thing anyways I uh, did a lot of gaming and did a lot of stuff over the weekend with games and you know uh, play tested a few things uh, oh play tested a really cool solo card game um, that I'm gonna be helping Tim Brown, who is the owner of the Game Chamber here in London, Ontario, he made this really cool zombie horde game that we're probably going to end up retheming, but I'm going to help him co-design it just to get it to a state where it's looking like it could go to maybe somebody like Van Ryder or whatever as a really cool, simple solo game. Yeah. What about you, Tiff? What did you play this weekend? Uh, I actually started keeping track of my plays, so I, I'm like, what did I play? And then I'm like, what did you play on air? What? What did you play on air with Steve? Well, that's the, we only did on air stuff, I think. So we played, um, we played 13 days, uh, not on air. We did that just at home as like a thing, and it definitely does give the vibe of a boiled down Twilight struggle. 100%. 100%. Though it almost made me want to play Twilight Struggle more, but you can play it in a quarter of the time. So there's definitely 
a niche for it. Uh, it's it's very interesting. Uh, then we played Shot and Totten, which is the newest edition of Shot and Totten, which Battleline re-implemented and did weird art for. <laughs> <laughs> so um, it was the it's the one from Yellow, and we really like Battleline. It's basically our third version of Battleline that we own. So we played that, and then we played um, Fan and Mallet, which is from. Oh, I can't remember the name of the. I think it's like Japan Town or Japan Town um, is the publisher, but it's a two-player-only game, and it gives a very similar vibe to Battleline, except for you have a token, and he marks where you can start playing cards from, and when you play a card, you have to play it on the house. There are ten houses in a circle. You have to play it on the house that is closest to where your guy is, but not the house that your guy is at. Um, so if you want to play a blue card, you can't play a blue card at a house where there's already been a blue card. So it's this interesting game where you're trying to take dominance over these houses um, by playing cards to get the largest sum. Um, but where you can place cards, you have to kind of plan and coordinate and try and trap your opponent into playing, like leave gaps of colors. So if your opponent only has cards of that color, they have to play there. So, um, it's really interesting. I really like it. And we did a stream where we played both at once and you can watch that. Uh, and then we also played Coffee Roaster because it's a solo game, but we play it co-op and we both really enjoy it. So yeah, I really like that one. We streamed that one last night. So yeah. Excellent. Lots of games. Yeah. What about you, Daryl? What did you play? Well, this weekend was, uh, Pretty much, yeah, I'm trying to think. I don't think I played anything published, all prototypes, trying to get stuff ready uh, for BGGCon so that I can have a few games to show around. Um, and then, uh, yeah, I can't think of anything in the public. But, um, Erica was over for the weekend, so we we did a lot of design work together. And then, uh, and then also, Adrian and I have been... Um, He's just finishing up his doctorate, so we're mostly just kind of corresponding through emails, and then I'm testing stuff. So, yeah, the, um, a lot of play testing last this last weekend. I'm doing some testing even tonight, and try to squeeze in as much as I can before next week. What's next week? PGCon. Oh, PGCon. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That thing that I so, don't go to, right? Yeah. So, All right. I'm yeah. very excited. All right. Well, speaking of BGGCon and meeting people and meetups and whatnot, let's bring our guests in. We have straight from Dallas, Texas, the home of BGGCon, we have the lovely and talented uh, J.R. Honeycutt. Honeycutt. And we also have Stephen Sauer. Just kidding. <laughs> Stephen Sauer Steven. from the lovely yeah. area of the, from the six. That's right. Stephen Sauer. From the six. Yeah. Hello, everybody. I have to say I am from Fort Worth, Texas, Dallas, Texas. Is about thirty-five yeah, miles. True, true. You're ah, right. DFW. You're all one big thing. That's right. The FW stands for Fort Worth. We get two of the three letters. Therefore, really, that's what it stands for. Yeah, Dallas Fort Worth. I know. I'm just bugging you. <laughs> How you doing, Jr? I am well. I am well. I am excited to be home from Metatopia, a playtesting convention that I was at last weekend, which is surprisingly topical given what the show is about. Mm -hmm. I'm also very excited, as Daryl just said, for Board Game Geek Con, BGG Con here uh, in DFW, my hometown. Uh, hometown Z, apparently, next yeah. week. Super stoked for that. And then after that, it's going to be a couple months without having to do any kind of travel. So, hopefully, a lot of time to do playtesting and do game development here uh, at the house with my friends and stuff. So, very excited for the next few weeks. Awesome. And, Mr. Sauer, what's been up with you? Hey, everyone. Uh, I don't know, not too much. I feel like I'm still coming down off the high of Gen Con, which I know was months ago, but uh, that's the only big con I ever end up uh, getting to every year. So other than that, it's you know just the monthly meetups at Snakes and uh, getting together with uh, fellow Gackers every, uh, every couple weeks or something. Yeah. Good stuff, good stuff. All right, so let's start the round of questioning, questioning, questioning. Daryl. Yes, let me Wait. start off with JR, and actually he already uh, hinted at it that I'd love to uh, ask about before we get to the the Nerd Nighters community, you were at Metatopia. I was. Some people don't know about that excellent convention. Could you tell us a little bit about it and and specifically highlight some of the playtesting aspects yeah. of the to the event? Absolutely, and I imagine the answer to that question will be self serving, Daryl. So I respect you for asking it. Um, he's laughing. He knows what I mean. 
So Metatopia is part of a four convention convention series put on by the people who run the double exposure playtesting uh, event at Gen Con and who also run the Envoy program, which so many people are familiar with. Uh, Metatopia is itself a playtesting convention for LARPs, RPGs, and tabletop games. Uh, I go for the board game testing and spent most of the time doing board game testing while I was there. It was two straight 12-hour days, and then after that, it was still also like playtesting in the evening and stuff. It's one of those conventions where everybody is there with one of their games that they want to play, uh, with one of the games that they want to test. And I had the amazing fortune of being uh, what's called a high tester for the convention which is uh, a title they give to published designers and other members of the industry, like publishers and such, who have who they think will do a good job giving playtesting feedback to people who are perhaps new or just looking for some more experienced testers, even though all the playtesters at Metatopia are very good. And it was really fun to see all the different games that were there. I saw deck building games, and I saw these interesting hybrids of like card games with storytelling and a lot of really cool stuff. I also had a chance to playtest games that I brought from Artana, including Solium Infernum, a game that I'm co-designing with Dirk Niemeyer, and also a game called Roaring Twenties, co-designed by your very own Daryl Andrews and his good friend Adrian Adamescu. And uh, that one showed really well, as did Solium, which made it a lot of fun. And it's just a great show. You know, everyone there is fantastic. Uh, the community itself is wonderful. It's an incredibly welcoming and open community, as you might expect from somewhere in the, the U.S. Northeast. But they really do go out of their way to make it a safe place for just about anybody to come and hang out and show off their games. And it's just a great time. Uh, it's my favorite convention of the year. And I say that going to lots of conventions and loving many of them, but it is my favorite convention of the year. So, hmm. that, Does that answer your question? Are we good? That was wonderful. You were <laughs> spot on. All right. Especially awesome. that Roaring Twenties part was really nice. Right. You got it. Coming soon from Artana. Oh, is it really? Well, it's coming eventually from Artana. Oh, I didn't know that. That's cool. Excellent. Yeah. Um, all right. So, Mr. Sauer, let's talk to you about Snakes Night, because that is what you mentioned, um, you know, where you're getting most of your playtime in. Uh, how did you start that up, and how do you make a relationship with an established venue like Snakes and Lattes as designers? What value do you bring? That kind of thing. Not you personally, but a group like that. Yeah, yeah. So, okay, so as some of you know, I live in Toronto, and I live about like a five minutes walk from both Snakes and Lattes and Exit College. Um, and so I was trying to think about it this morning. Um, I think maybe like six years ago, it's, it's either five or six years ago, um, Snakes and Lattes had just opened that first year. And uh, I went down there, and that was with some of the old guards. So Ben, the owner, uh, Adam was the uh, manager back then, and uh, Sean was there, Sean Jacquemin. And I remember just walking in at first and just saying, you know, do you think I could, you know, play test some of my games here? And uh, they set me up and, and I played with some of them. I played with some strangers. And and then after that, I went back and talked to them some more and I asked if maybe we could try setting up some kind of monthly thing going on. And then that December, which I think is like maybe six years this December, we, uh, we started up the Snakes Nights and it was just happened to be the third Monday of the month and it's been that way ever since. And uh, it's been pretty fantastic. Mm-hmm. That's good. And and when you're doing that, how are you getting information out to people to come? What's your... Yeah, it, w- it was hard at first because it was uh, trying to figure out, you know, the flow of everything. Um, we started up a Facebook page, try to get uh, invites out there. Uh, I think we used to post things in the store. Um, and at first, you know, it was small. I mean, there's maybe 10, 15 people coming out every month. But after that first year, it seemed to sort of pick up enough momentum that we'd pretty consistently have about like 20 to 30 people coming out every month. And then the past few years, it's gotten so popular that we usually have like 30 plus people and half of those people are brand new every month. Like people that like I've never met before. So just in Toronto itself, like it seems to, once you sort of reach that tipping point, it just kind of carries itself really. Hmm. Excellent. All right, Tiff, what's up? That is, I'm very jealous. I've been to Snake and Lattes once and it was super awesome. Um, JR, I know you you run so many events and, and different things like that, like um, the DFW Nerd Night for sure, but do you regular or run any design specific events that reoccur? Yeah, I do a Tuesday night playtesting group at my apartment here and it is not as consistent as I would like, mostly because I'm fairly selective about who I invite to my apartment. 
Um, I mean, I've never been invited, so. Yeah. Well, you're all invited, so come on over. <laughs> I mean, you all, the hosts, the audience, you know, at least shoot me a message first or whatever. At um, least not. But um, uh, anyways, I have had actually much less success putting together design events than I have putting together general community events. And I think the reason is that, like, playtesting is hard and it's work, right? It isn't necessarily fun. And it's I've always found it difficult to say, hey, instead of playing this very good published game, why don't you play my not very good unpublished game? I've always felt really bad about that when I'm, like, in a public setting where people are doing, like, a Nerdnet event or our regular Thursday night game group. So unless I have a prototype that I really do think is pretty good or... I have friends who I know really enjoy playtesting just for doing it and are willing to help out. I usually try to avoid it, uh, which is a problem because, you know, like it means that I get less playtesting done than I would like. But I am trying to run some normal uh, tabletop simulator playtesting events now that I know how to use it to create prototypes and everything. So that is an interesting avenue of playtesting that I'm really excited about to start becoming a part of. So. Excellent. Well, on the note of the difficulty of playtesting and creating a space that is conducive of that. Steven, could you share a few maybe horror stories? Uh, <laughs> a few examples. Maybe horror is too strong of a word, but some of the growing pains because I think when you hear examples of it not working, then you feel a little better about what you're trying to do out there. So, you know, you, sure, Snakes and Lattes got 30, 40, 50 people coming out now every third Monday, but it wasn't always that way. And even now, there's still problems. Could you share a few examples of, oh, yeah, yeah, for sure. of, the, of the struggle? <sighs> okay, well, I mean, where to start? Um, I guess one of the, f the hard things is, is making sure that everyone that's coming out is on the same page. Um, you know, we're all, we're all busy in our own lives. You know, we're doing this as a side thing, and everyone that's coming out wants a chance to get their game tabled, right? So I find that the biggest problem that we still have is, is being respectful of other people's times. Um, and what happens a lot is that uh, you'll get people that'll come out to play and they'll bring their game, they'll set up on a table. So, you know, you sit down with them to play and we try to keep everything to be, you know, start to finish, set up, gameplay, discussion, under an hour, right? Um, but some people just don't respect that. They want you to play right to the end. And when they're done, they don't clean up their game. They just want to start their game again with someone else. And they're not willing to jump in and play test someone else's game. You know, it, there's been a lot of times over the years and it still happens where people just don't, you know, respect other people's time there. And that's hard because then sometimes it means that some people just don't even get to table their game. And if this is their only play test this once a month kind of thing, then it's a pretty like crappy thing to have worked all month on something and not even get a chance to table it. So mm -hmm. that's definitely one of the big ones. Um, another one we have to do with, uh, has to do with the space, the physical space you're in. Um, Snakes and Lattes has changed over the years. It's grown, it's taken over a second space, then it took over a third space, and they opened up a second location. Um, and over the course of that, they've had a bunch of different layouts of tables, and that's actually made a bit of a difference in playtesting. Um, when you have like small tables that you can put together, you can organize different sized groups of players together. You know, you can have two people playing two-player games, or you can just slide another table over, and then four or five people can play together. When that game's done, that group can break up, and then they can split into different groups. And it's really fluid, and it's fantastic. Um, and then a few years ago, we moved to the booth system, where there's these big six-seater booths, which are really nice. But the problem is, is then you get stuck in this group of people for the whole night, which may work out, but it may not. You know, and uh, now just recently, we moved over to the New Snakes, where it's all open concept again, down in college. and. Uh, it's really nice being able to have that freedom to just move around and not get stuck in the same game, you know, with the same people if it's not working out or just, you know, you may want to play with different people throughout the night. So, mm -hmm. College is great. It has lots of really wide open spaces. There's charging ports everywhere, which is, which is nice if you, you know, you want to videotape your gameplay and whatnot. I thought so you just meant good. college in general. Like college, well, college is awesome. They're all the time. It's really open. It has outlets, and I was like, "Really, it's really a nice place." Yeah. No, I meant the College Street location for Snakes and Lattes. Uh, so they have a new location, uh, and actually, they just opened a bistro too. Um, so Ben Cassini, the owner, is just going wild with his ideas, and we'll see how well they fare. And it's good that he's diversifying. Um, so um, talking about etiquette and things like that. JR, uh, the first question I have for you, I have, I have two questions for JR. The first is, what cities or what areas in the U.S. do you think 
are the best for designer groups. You know what I mean? Sure. Yeah, absolutely. I think that Seattle is probably the best region. Like the Seattle area seems to be the best. Yeah. Based on just the density of people who make games there and the availability of events that are for that. Right. Um, there's a, a, a very strong design community in Boston. There's a very strong design community in New York City. Mm-hmm. There's a strong design community in northern New Jersey and in Philadelphia. And because I am from Texas, all of those places being three hours away from each other, that is the same size as like the DFW area. So I think of that all as the same thing. I imagine <laughs> Bostonite, New Yorkers and Philadelphians probably imagine themselves as being regionally separated. Um, and that's their right. So there is a... Texas oh, is pretty Texas. damn big. That's true. Right. Uh, it takes 13 hours to drive across east to west. It takes about 16 to drive across north-south. Oh, that's um, cute. Yeah. Canada takes a lot longer to drive around. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure, for sure. So there's a surprisingly strong design community in Minnesota based on, obviously, Fantasy Flight being there. And I think the LA community is very good for game design. There's a lot of West Coast designers that have been there for quite some time. And San Francisco has good design, too. Uh, The tech industry is there. And what ends up happening is a lot of those tech guys make games on the side, right? You see some really cool independent projects come from there. And a few publishers out that way, so. Yeah, for sure, including Days of Wonder, right? So I guess Asmo Days of Wonder now. Um, (laughs) Nice one. We... Here in DFW, we have, I think we have one of the strongest local gaming communities in the world. Um, and I think that the DFW Nerd Night community is sort of like an example of what you can do when you take time to unite uh, gamers behind something and give them some independent way to sort of identify with their region. Uh, but from a design standpoint, we do have designers here. We do have publishers here. Plathead Games is here. Uh, and Queen Games uses our city for their Kickstarter projects for some reason. Um, but I don't think that we necessarily are at that level yet for like that you see in Seattle and in the Northeastern US and in LA, but I'd like for us to get there. It's just going to take time. So mm-hmm. you get a second question. If you want. Oh yeah. My second question was on etiquette. Uh, I know for definitely for nerd night, there are, you know, kind of spoken and unspoken rules about conduct and whatnot. Do you have the same type of rules for playtesting? I know it's in your house, so it's a little bit different, but, what would you, it may be, let's put it this way. What would you recommend in terms of etiquette for playtesting groups in terms of like rules of engagement? Well, it's interesting. It's a, it's a really interesting question. I've never thought about that comparison before. Uh, at Nerd Night, we have a fairly like laissez-faire attitude about attendance. Uh, we just ask that people sort of do what you would do at a dinner party if you believe in it before, right? Just like be cool, right? Like don't talk about stuff that would be divisive. Don't get in fights, right? Like be open and honest, whatever, enjoy yourself. Uh, for playtesting, I think like, because playtesting is, for whatever reason, I get more stressed out when I playtest than I do when I go to Nerd Night. Um, I love hosting events and everyone's on the same team, but when you're playtesting, you can oftentimes like develop some sense of real animosity at the table sometimes, even though you don't want it there and obviously it doesn't belong there. Like occasionally it happens when people disagree on something, et cetera. Like it is a cre- creative environment. And that creative environment engenders, I think, a different response than what you get when you're just like at an event having a good time, all for the same reason. Um, my rules for playtesting are just like, you know, don't be a jerk, like, you know. <laughs> and I personally, tr- I try to ask permission before I offer any kind of design advice. Um, I try to really make sure that a person wants to hear that, and I try to say like, you know, what do you want from this playtest before you start? And I did that at Metatopia the entire time, but specifically, I really ask that people not offer de- design advice unless asked for. And I try to ask everyone to like, you know, take notes, right? Just like, if you want to say a thing, just write it down and then have it for later. Um, but I don't know that I've ever really thought about like an enforced code of conduct for a playtesting event. Just, you know, don't be a jerk. Like, you know, don't come in with some set of ideals as to what this thing is going to be. Just be here and hang out and play games and give feedback, so. Yeah. I think, um, I don't know if, I was trying to remember if Unpub had a set of contact. I think they have general kind of conventioning ones. But this is actually a great segue um, to a question we sort of have from not a computer <laughs> in the chat um, for uh, Stefan. How do you groom? Because you talked about how um, at the Snakes and Latte Playtest events, it's you have to have people understand that they get an hour, and that's like with playing and with feedback, and then like that's it, and they need to respect other people's times. How do you groom a playtest group to encourage the gamers who are valuable to the process and possibly discourage the behavior of attendant or attendance of others? So. Mm, that's a great question. Yeah. 
like how do you weed out the people that aren't being respectful kind of thing i think and also kind of like enforce the code of conduct maybe or if, if you don't if you don't have one you know how do you go yeah. about creating one or creating that culture it's a hard thing because like I, I, really you want to be as positive as possible because everyone's there to have fun right so you don't want this to be like any kind of argument but it it definitely leaves a bad taste in your mouth when it happens you know um so one thing that's always helpful is when you sit down like jr was saying is that you know what do you want to get out of this play test let's talk about that before we even start so we have some expectations and even just at the beginning we have to say look you know show us the game we'll play it and leave time for feedback and just setting up those things up front and being vocal about it uh, makes a big difference. Then everyone knows what's going to happen over the next hour, as opposed to, you know, once the hour hits, if no one's talked about it, then people are starting to get frustrated. No one wants to speak up. You know, someone does, then they take it the wrong way. Like, honestly, I think just being up front at the beginning is good. Um, we also, on the monthly um, Snakes and Lattes hosts a page where you can link to the event. And there's always a big write-up at the beginning of that, which, again, outlines this sort of hour format um, as a reminder to people. But, um, but it still happens. Um, and it's tough. I mean, we've even had people that are coming down for Kickstarter events for their projects that have just come down, set up their game on the table, and then, you know, suck people in for like three hours and then once they're done, then just sucked another group in for the rest of the night. And you're like, oh, this, just isn't, this is not cool. You're not reciprocating in any way. You know, these people now have, feel like their night's ruined. And it's just, it's tough. But you don't want to be negative too, you know, because we don't want, it, it. you're just trying to stay as positive as possible at all times. It's tough. Absolutely. Another another event that I know JR has appreciated because I've, I've chatted with him afterwards and seen you know him fired up and inspired and and uh feeling good is after the stonemeyer uh designer days and i was curious it's an invite only and it's a very small thing but could you tell us a little bit about the atmosphere and what makes it good what makes it great and yeah. then, and maybe that'll also inspire other similar things to bubble up Sure, sure. I should clarify one small correction. Jamie's event isn't invite only. Uh, it is open to the public. Oh, but thanks. he gives a he gives everyone who has been before a chance to come back uh, before he puts tickets out to the public. If that makes sense. So, like this time, there were some extras that got filled in. But it's an event that has fewer than hundred people. I want to say he caps it at like seventy-five or eighty people. Um, yeah, Jamie's design day actually works a lot like what Metatopia is on a much smaller scale. Metatopia was a convention that I want to say probably had. I don't know, 300 people this year. I, it could be double that. I'm not exactly sure because I didn't interact with everybody. But it was, you know, between like 250 and 600 people. At really? Seriously, JR? You didn't hug everybody? Uh, I hugged everyone I knew and a bunch of people I didn't know. But not okay. everybody. <laughs> not yeah. everybody, okay. You only hugged about 300. Oh, yeah, no, right. that, there you go. 300 hugs. Yeah, you guys, my immune system is just like off the hook, guys. You have no idea. Um, it <laughs> All is that hugging. So at Metatopia, for this convention, the last two and a half days for like, you know, probably 500 people, there are 840 scheduled events, right? Um, and it's amazing the kind of like organization they have. Well, Jamie's Design Day has something similar in that like everybody's hour slots or half hour slots are completely like are completely scheduled, right? All the way through the things. So you know exactly what you're doing. You all sign up to a spreadsheet. All these things that happen, and that kind of organization makes for a really really good event. And for Jamie's Design Day as well, you have a great chance to see like what's coming up way ahead of time. You can sort of like do and like do research on games that are coming. And he provides a pretty good way to interact with uh, other designers. Also, it all happens in one room. It's like the uh, basically it's like the cafeteria of one of the university uh, churches at the is it Washington University in St. Louis? I think that's I think that's the name of it. So everyone's sort of just in the same room, and it makes it loud and crowded. But at the same time, there's this really cool energy where like people are just like giving feedback, going back and forth all at the same time, and it's it's very like wholesome and exciting and it feels very indie and that like you can hear things being created and ideas being exchanged like in this small room and like you know like a year later i can see games on kickstarter now or in stores now that i saw a year before you know at james design day like with feedback going back and forth and that's one thing that i've always loved about going to these events unpub events uh speed dating events metatopia dreamation another one of the double exposure shows james design day is like getting to see my friends games and then seeing them in stores and being like, God, I was there. Like I saw, I was in the conversation that caused that idea to come together. Right. Or like, like I was sitting at the table for the playtest where the publisher decided he wanted to buy this game from this person. Right. 
and that's just such, it's such an amazing experience. I just love it. Um, it's pretty great. Cool. Uh, Steven, back to you. In terms of rules of engagement, are there any things that, that you would like to be able to implement at the Snakes Night? And if so, how would you do that? Like changes, you're thinking? Yeah. Um, I, I guess if snakes could just stay open an extra two hours, it would be fantastic. <laughs> but um, we honestly, to that well, that's true. Though. Then you'd miss out on the Korean food. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. those of you who don't know, we uh, we do snakes till midnight, and then we head out to get Korean for another two hours and uh, do another couple of play tests uh, at a restaurant. And then I drive home to London. Yeah. Oh, so man. I need to come out to one of these design nights, mostly for the oh, Korean good. food. It's it's so like after midnight. Oh my god, all the hot pots and oh, it's so good. It's good. Yeah. Um, you know, for the most part, I'm I'm actually we've been doing this so long. I feel like it's in a really good place. Um, I don't have really anything I'd like to change about it. Uh, the the general public has been so friendly. Um, and the fact that there's new designers coming out every month is just fantastic. And we're even getting like people that are coming out just to play test, like not even bringing mm -hmm. designs now. So we've even transitioned into like just drawing in people out of interest. Um, uh, and I'm really, you know, there's still going to be the new designers that come out where it's their first game and things are a hot mess and, you know, they're re not that receptive to feedback yet and, you know, whatever, but everyone's got to go through these stages and stuff and, yeah. um, and just really trying to make sure that people don't hog the table and, and don't leave after you play test a game. That's the worst. You know, if you get your game to the table and then everyone plays it and then someone's about to pull out their game and you're like, no, I got to go yes. Yes. play anyone else's game. Oh my God. That's so frustrating. Yes. No. Yes. Yes. So you got to give back, you know, if you're going to play, if someone's going to play your game, you have to at least play one other game at hopefully two or three other games, you know, just out of the kindness, like so everyone at the table can get a chance. But uh, again, it doesn't happen that much, but uh, yeah, it's that's one of my pet peeves for sure. Yeah, it's kind of one of the unspoken rules um, that was mentioned actually in the chat, not a computer asked a question kind of related to that. And yeah, it is, it's one of those things where if you're a new designer, I don't think you realize and then yeah, but um, JR, you do a lot of other playtesting events for Artana now, I know that. So when you do a design day or a design event for a game as like a company, how is that different? Because they're coming to play your games, it's not like they usually have their own designs and stuff like that. Or, or are you having the designers of games that you're working with all work together like how does it work as a publisher doing a design event for your published the games that you're working to publish yeah it always it all just depends on the context of the playtest like if i'm saying hey guys i have a new version of solium infernum and this game takes two to three hours to test i need three people or four people willing to come play and they say yeah i'll come do that then i'm just like i'm just having people come to my house and play this game and i don't expect to do anything else besides that Right, because that's like why they're there. And for the most part, oftentimes, like it isn't necessarily designers who do that. Or if they're designers, they're like, yeah, I don't, I mean, I didn't bring anything. I'm just going to come play your game, give you some feedback, and take off, right? These like little one off sessions. But when I, especially when I go, so if, like, if it's in my house, I expect to just do my own stuff. And then I expect other people to like let me know, like, if you want to test something, we'll test it afterwards, whatever. There's a little bit of scheduling that goes on there. But if I'm going somewhere else to do something, I always expect, like Stephen was just saying, I always expect to give twice as much feedback as I get. Always to me, if I'm gonna if I'm gonna ask for one playtest, I want to give two, um, and more than that if I can. But I think it is really frustrating to like take the time to like play somebody's game and give a bunch of feedback and then not have them reciprocate. And obviously, like context matters, right? There are plenty of reasons why somebody would have to leave an event early or whatever. That is totally fine. But I think as a designer, you learn just as much when you give feedback as you do when you receive it especially when you're new and maybe you're working on your first game um, that I think exposing yourself to the problems that other people are trying to solve and seeing the way that they approach these things, it really and truly, it's almost like being a rookie as a professional athlete, right? Like you need to get in the batting cages. When you're done taking your swings, you need to stay there and watch Miguel Cabrera take his swings too, right? And you need to talk to him about what he's doing, what he's seeing and why. Perfect you need to be analogy. around people who are making these things. Daryl, what's up? I just said perfect analogy. 
Keep going. Right? You're waxing. <laughs> waxing poetically. Only if you understand baseball. <laughs> I'm saying, all right, we'll do it differently, right? Like, if you are if you just got drafted in the NHL and you came over and you got a chance to sit there and watch Brett Hull, right? If you had a chance to sit there and watch Brett Hull just, like, practice his one-timers from the corner for half an hour, you need to take yours and then sit there. You need to take a knee and watch Brett Hull hit the, hit the hockey puck, right? Like, if you're Dak Prescott, you need to be sitting listening to Tony Romo and watching him watch film, right? If you want to talk about what's the other one, basketball, right? Like if you get there, you need to sit there and talk to Jason Kidd, who was the coach of the Milwaukee Bucks, about the angle that he sees when he runs his Princeton offense with the New Jersey with the New Jersey Nets when they went to the uh, to the finals in two thousand two and two thousand and three, right? These things are important. Okay, what about pro um, wrestling? What did you do if you're a pro wrestling newbie? Oh my god, if you get a chance to do a hell in a cell match, you got a chance to be there with Mick Foley, you absolutely have to talk about to Mick about what it looks like to sell damage up against a cage and how to wrestle a match in a larger physical space than you're used to to make fans believe in the risk and the pain that is occurring in the ring that's going on, right? You can't just wrestle a normal match. You gotta talk to the people that have been doing it for a while. Absolutely. If you wanna talk about promotions, you gotta talk to the road dog Jesse James and the badass Billy Gunn, the new age outlaws. If you wanna have any kind of understanding of how to be Enzo and Cass, right? If you want to, bada boom, the realest guys in the room. You have to know about the people that have done it before. Is all I'm trying to say. <laughs> love it. I love it. I, you I know, like, it was it I was my like job to cut him off, and that was never gonna happen. Yeah. Uh, so, <laughs> next question to Stephen. How do you follow that up? But I, I am, I am uh, curious. We haven't talked yet uh, about game artisans of Canada, and so you, you know, we talked a little bit about snake sites. Could you contrast? a little bit of what game nights with the game artisans are like, and maybe even just for anyone who hasn't uh, seen what, tell us a little bit about kind of the structure yeah, so, of the deal with it. That as well. um, our local chapter here is the sort of GTA, like the uh, Toronto area. Um, and we have maybe like 12-ish, 15 members, something like that. So um, part of the Game Artisans of Canada. Um, and we often get together at snakes nights like a lot of us will frequent all the snakes nights not the same people every time but a mix of us um we often will then go out for korean afterwards and stuff but we don't we then get together on nights totally separate of snakes nights where they are just for game artisans like no not public um, public play tests um and they're nice they're usually smaller um you know maybe four to six people at a time but uh at, at someone's house or something like that but um because we all know each other and we're all designers and uh, it, they're much more, I wouldn't say useful, but maybe more productive um, play tests because it, you know, we are, we're all speak the same terminology. We're all, you know, have followed each other's games throughout the process and we can like give feedback so fast and so effectively. And uh, we really trust each other's opinions too. Um, you know, sometimes the play test feedback you get uh, can be like all over the map. Um, depending on who's giving it, but uh, with our with our little groups, when we get together, we find they're very efficient and very effective, and uh, and a nice contrast to then have the snakes nights because then you can get to play test with a bunch of people you've never met before, which are totally fresh to your game too. So sometimes it's nice to have that you know consistent group you're always playing with, and then it's also nice to have people that have never seen anything before. Yeah, you know, those are good points uh, because a lot of it. I mean, when you're playtesting with people who you haven't met before, they don't know the rules, they don't have any preconceived notions. You've got to be really down with your pattern and teaching them in like as short a time as possible. So that's great. Um, I want to ask JR, JR, technology-wise, um, yep. and I know that you do some of this with Ace and whatnot. So two tech questions. The first is um, Tabletopia, Tabletop Simulator. How do we use that as a tool for people who can't get a meetup group together but might be able to do things virtually? And the second one is what type of technology are you using to organize your actual physical meetups? Go. Yeah, so the first question is you should absolutely use Tabletop Simulator or Tabletopia or whatever you can to organize playtests because the number of people available to playtest goes from whoever can drive to your home or wherever you're meeting to anyone who has the internet and is awake, right? And, I mean, even if you live in the densest populated areas, like, one of those numbers is much larger than the other. Um, and also, like, most of my design friends live in places that are not where I am, mm -hmm. right? And... Not that the people that I playtest with aren't great, they are, but there are many people that I would love to playtest my games that I only see once or twice a year, right? Like, for instance, all of you. Yes. Um, and yet, I feel so close to you guys because we can talk online so often and everything that having this digital space to test games is wonderful, right? 
it's not the perfect thing because board games, I think, should be played or are best played in physical space. But, you know, I think we can account for that and do a lot of testing that is super productive. Uh, the second question was what things do I, like what technology do I use to organize meetups? Uh, I use Facebook groups, man. Facebook groups and Facebook events. And then we have a group text for stuff, et cetera. Um, and if it's about making prototypes, I use Nandek and I use GIMP and I use uh, Tabletop Simulator for everything. So, and uh, Google spreadsheets, obviously. Right, right, right. Good. Um, just a quick hot pursuit, uh, just so that people out there do know if you are using Tabletop Simulator, you have it. Like it's like, you know, not 10 bucks, 19 bucks, uh, depending on if you can get it on sale. There is a Tabletop, tabletop Simulator playtest group on Facebook uh, that we're starting up. So, Basically, you just exchange playtests with each other. Say, I'll playtest your game, or you playtest my game. You set up a time, and you go to the Facebook group. So look for it. Um, I don't think it's private. I can't remember. Anyway, on to who? Actually, can I just ask Jer a quick question here? Yeah, sure. Um, so Jer, like, I'm not using Tabletopia or anything like that. I know a lot of friends are and stuff. But how long does it actually take to set up that first prototype on the computer so then you can start playtesting with everyone else? Yeah, great question. I think that, so I am, I am not, how do I say this? Like, I've used a computer for my entire life, and yet I'm not a graphic designer, and it takes me time to learn how to use all these systems and everything, and I don't think that I'm, like, what I'm saying is that I'm not, like, the person who's like, ah, I'm a wizard, I just figured it out for myself, right? Like, I'm, like, Googling everything and going to Reddit and watching instructional videos and pestering Ace and my friends who do these things. It took me about a day to figure out how to use Tabletop Simulator, and once I got that done, I can make, like, complicated prototypes in a couple hours. Steven, you might have a little longer time if you're interacting with it through a telephone. Um, <laughs> he just beats dial-up like it's right. like ones and zeros. He just talks binary. Yeah, just use a rotary phone, right? Use a rotary phone, and you'll be fine. Um, just like tell all the pixels what to be. No, it's actually was surprisingly easy. Like Tabletop Simulator, which is what I use. I haven't used Tabletopia. Uh, you can just like as long as you format your files correctly, which you can do through an Andac and through GIMP in such a way that it's fairly easy to use. Um, like once you know how to format them, you just do it automatically, and it's just like doing anything else. Yeah, we do all that through Imgur. Yeah, exactly. Well, yeah. So you, you create the file format, put it on Imgur, and then drop the links from Imgur. Uh, which like it takes some time to figure out what those things are and how to do them. But once you have a process, it's no different than like making prototypes that you expect to print. Right? You just make the file, and then instead of printing it, you upload it. Once you get it into Tabletop or into Tabletop Simulator, it's as easy as just like uploading the deck, putting it in there, sizing it the way you want it, positioning it where you want it. And that is all easy, right? That's all just like interacting in digital space. It's not a problem at all. I was really shocked at how quickly I was able to pick it up and learn it and how, how much, it was so much easier than I thought it would be, right? Like I would say that using Tabletop Simulator is significantly easier than like learning how to use Photoshop. Hmm. So. Steven, you know how to do that, right? I do. He's got mad skills. Not illustrator though. Yeah, He's yeah, got mad skills. Yeah. Cool. Speaking of making new versions of prototypes, um, making physical prototypes is always a thing. But at the design meetups that you do, is it almost expected that people bring not a new, like, brand new version of a prototype, but like an updated version? Like, if somebody's bringing a game and they've play tested it a couple times, and and then they show up and it, it hasn't changed at all, right? <laughs> like, is that a faux pas? Like, how how often are people expected to either bring new stuff or tweak stuff, you know, things like that? Well, I don't think it's expected. And it actually doesn't happen that often, to be honest. Um, I mean, it usually happens at the point of the night where people have playtested all their main games and we're like, does anyone have anything else? And then someone just pulls out something that, you know, we've all played before. But really, like, you know, they, they should be like, there should be a goal to play test this. Like, why are we play testing this again? You know, is there something you want to get out of it this time? Are we trying to do a different player count or something like that? Or, but if it's literally just to play something, then we'd probably try to find something else so that someone has a reason that they need this play tested. Because, you know, um, I don't know what it's like for you guys, but like, you know, I have a family, some of you guys have families, um, jobs outside of this stuff. And, uh, you know, I don't have a lot of time in my personal life to play test. So these nights are pretty important to me. Um, so having everyone get a chance to table their games is something that's really important. And when you play something that people are bringing out and you're not really sure why, then it's like, is this a kind of a waste of my time on this one night of the month I have to do this, you know? So I would say, yeah, try to avoid that unless there's really a reason why you need that play tested. Go for it, Jared. 
Yeah, uh, people first in all my events and all the things that I do, people first. If a person takes the time to come to the event and what they need to do is spend their time doing something they've done before, boom, done, I'm in, happy to do it, right? Like, unless it's just so bad that people are like, I can't play that again, it's terrible. Like, whatever, you're here, you brought your thing, do the thing, right? I don't care, so. Absolutely. Uh, a question actually, time, so. kind of along, along those lines, but in the opposite direction. I know you have some great connections, JR, uh, with some people that you trust and respect with playtesting. A person that comes to my mind is, I know you do a lot of playtesting with Randy, for instance, from Foxtrot. Uh, you have some great relationships with other publishers as well. You, you connect with the plaid hat guys, et cetera. Um, I'm, I'm curious, can you talk a little bit about, especially over the last few years of building those relationships, how that has changed and helps uh, you play test and any advice for people on how to network and build some connections with even different publishers and how that works that you could work with other publishers and still be, you know, play testing your own stuff. Sure. Let me answer the second part of that question first. You can um, do that. I wrote an article two years ago when I started working at Level 99 Games as their community manager, and it was titled How to Get a Job in Board Games. And I took a little bit of flack for it. People were like, yeah, this is like sort of silly. Like This advice is sort of generic. But I felt like it was important. And one of the pieces of advice I gave in that article was that if you want to do a thing in the game industry, you should start doing it. This is the most accessible industry and hobby I've ever been a part of, ever. Like, if you want to be a game designer, get some note cards and make a game. Boom, you're a game designer. If you want to be a playtester, like, get on the internet, go find a playtest thing, and go playtest. Um, if you want to meet publishers and build a relationship, literally just go to a convention, walk up to the booth, and say, hey, I, would lo I love your product, and I'd love to help you make better ones. Can I playtest your stuff? Almost all of them will say yes. And certainly, any independent publishers will say, yeah, of course, absolutely. And then just put in the time and put in the work and be thoughtful. Um, that's what it takes to do it. If you want to do it, you can. So with that said, what I have learned from working with guys like Rob Davio and playtesting for the Plat Hat guys and all these other things is you do have to do the work and be thoughtful, right? It's not enough to just show up and say what you think about a game that you played. I was, and perhaps possibly still am, but at least at first, I was a terrible playtester. Like, I was just really, really bad at it. I was opinionated without taking the time to have any depth. I was quick to judge without taking the time to try to perceive nuance. And especially one thing that I did that I really hated myself for is I would constantly compare a prototype to a published game that I played and try to think about all the ways that it was different and treat those things as automatically negative, right? Which is really frustrating. It's like really, really poor form as a playtester. And one of the things that I've learned from observing other designers run playtests and observing other designers playtest other games is how to let myself like clear my mind and just observe sort of in a third person view like what I feel as I play and be cognizant of that. And then think about like, is what I'm feeling, does this seem to align with what it is a designer seems to be implying they want me to feel, right? And then let everything flow from an honest interpretation of my own feelings without any kind of other context. Um, unless I'm being asked to do development work and think about a game as a product, I really am just trying to like be honest with myself and, and see what I feel and not let those things get in the way of getting good feedback. So it's really hard to explain in words, but it's a definitely a different approach. So, mm -hmm. um, Steven, so I'm just looking at the time here. We're about, uh, we got about eight minutes, so let's keep on talking. Uh, so in the case of, of play testers and people who aren't designers, is there any kind of primer or anything you would tell people who are coming to the Snakes Night, if you could tell them, or maybe you should tell them, about how to be a good playtester, following along JR's mm -hmm. lines? Um, yeah, okay, so if you're coming out to playtest, so you're a gamer, you never playtested before, you've heard about these nights, you wanna come out and try it out, um, make sure you're vocal, um, and uh, in terms of like, I, I don't want you to ever get caught in the trap um, of like not knowing what to say or how to say things and stuff like that. Like everyone who's at these designer nights wants feedback. Um, and you know, the best thing to do is just to be honest about how you felt about things. Cause that's, that's really what they want to get out of you. Especially if you never played their game before you're a fresh person to them is they just want your honest reactions to things. Um, and, and just try your best, the, you know, the best way you can describe it. If you need to give an example of how it's similar to another game, that's fine. You know, if you need, if you can do it a different way, that's totally fine too. Um, 
And uh, know that there's going to be a whole range of games you're going to be playing. Everything from like just penciled on cards to some people have full art kind of games. So you can see the full spectrum of kind of stuff you're playing. Um, but make sure when you sit down at that table that you know that this game, like what you're going to expect. It, it's always nice to hear, okay, I'm going to do this play test. We're going to try testing out this and this. And we're going to try to keep this to under an hour so you know what to expect. And try not to get stuck in those long situations where you're there for the whole night. Because that can be a turn off for you and you may never want to come back to play test games if you get stuck in those three-hour sessions. You know, And that's not the norm, but it could happen to you. So, yeah. Yeah. What about JR? So your playtest events, uh, with the exception of the online ones, they're mostly at your house. So if, I mean, have you ever had a situation where you had a playtester that was just not, basically they uninvited themselves from future events? Like they they didn't give great feedback or they gave extremely yeah. negative feedback or yeah. something like that? I, How do you handle that situation when it's, you know, your house and not so just I've never, I've never had it happen at home, thankfully. Okay. Uh, I've had situations where somebody was here for the first time and, like, didn't pick up on, at a, like, at a, like, an emotional, social level, didn't pick up on, like, the dynamics and flow of the conversations. Like, everyone else is, like, chill and positive and they were, like, aggressive and negative and, like, weren't picking up the rest of our like sort of giving them verbal cues that like that isn't what this is for um and when that happens i try to just like have a conversation with them afterwards or even in the moment but i've definitely experienced those things at playtesting events where like one or more playtesters are really crossing a line of like what is useful and i think that it's totally fine to have energy and to have passion in a playtest but i think you also have to like respect the designer and you have to respect that no matter how strongly you feel about this thing, they will feel more strong, right? So whatever you put onto them emotionally, they're going to feel that tenfold because you are either supporting or attacking something that they've created and feel deeply about. Even if they're very, even if they're great at playtesting, all of us experience emotional vulnerability in those moments. So you have to like recognize that and care for them as a person. And I've definitely had moments where like I'll either shift the conversation away, or I'll even like cut in and just like ask a person like, hey, so do you mind if I just start talking now because it seems like you sort of said what you want to say. Like try to keep it positive, but also like intervene and make sure that person doesn't like cross a line even farther. Um, it can be tough, I guess, to respond to those things. But fortunately, I think if you're like if you're willing to play test, you're the kind of person who will go out of your way to do that. You're also probably a fairly kind, patient person, because playtesting requires kindness and patience. So, uh, and the hobby, I think, selects for people who are kind and patient for the most part. So, those things exist for sure. Uh, yeah. Steven, I'm curious, uh, we're running out of time, but, uh, before we do, I have one last question for you. Uh, and I'm curious as a designer with some experience seeing good play tests, poor play tests, all that kind of stuff. What are some questions you've picked up along the way, either through, uh, your own experience or you've seen other designers, uh, use to, to get the best out of your play test session? Are there any kind of uh questions and when do you ask them and just that kind of process what are what are some tools in the toolkit that you use well um i mean some people run their play tests differently um everything i do i'm very open to stopping and talking partway through games um and even making changes on the fly and stuff like that like you know i'm i'm very fine with playing a couple rounds of a game just to get the feel for it and then talk through the rest of it and see you know is this a good direction to keep working in you know, what do you guys think I should be changing here and stuff like that. You don't necessarily need to go start to finish on a game. You can get everything you need out of just a few rounds. So you should keep that in mind because then, you know, it keeps things going faster and the faster the whole night goes, you know, the happier everyone is, you know, instead of getting bogged down and stuff. Um, so I think that's definitely a, a, a good way to go. What else? I don't know. I'll have to think about other stuff. <laughs> well, think about that, and I'll ask JR uh, a similar question. Um, so, JR, as we're running out of time, give your one piece of advice. I want you to do it from two perspectives, though. Um, I know I'm challenging you a lot today. The first perspective is, as an organizer of playtest events, what is the advice you would give to somebody who's trying to do that? And then as somebody who is either a designer or a playtester going to an event for the first time, what is the advice you would give to that person? Aha! Go. 
Okay, so the first one, the advice that I would give is to uh, stay flexible, right? You're asking people to give up a significant portion of their time, even if they are designers who want to play test, like all of us lead busy lives. And maybe at first you say, we're gonna do it here at this place, we're gonna do it on Sunday nights, and three people show up. And then you say, okay, we're gonna do it again. And there is some value to consistency, but at some point you've gotta realize like, you know what, maybe we do this on Tuesdays instead. What works for everybody? Like try to dis disassociate yourself from being like in control of this thing and instead make it something that everybody has a little ownership of so that everybody feels like it's an important part of their life, right? Um, this has been key to us for doing nerd nights as well. So as an organizer, listen to feedback and like make the event something that everyone is proud to be a part of so that they will actually like imprint themselves on it and work to make it grow and support it. And Steven, it sounds like you've done that at uh, up there in Canada, which is fantastic. Um, as a designer playtester, come in with an open mind, right? Like don't come in with expectations. Be willing to give twice as much as you get and in doing so, you will get 10 times more than you expect. Um, and come in and just like put your game on the table and be willing to listen, right? Like really, really listen as much as you can. And in fact, if I were to give advice to a designer as a first time playtester, I would say the first time you go, don't bring your own game. Just go, playtest other people's stuff and just get to know them, right? Build yourself some social capital, get a feel for what the event is like, build some relationships and just listen. I will tell you as a designer, when somebody takes the time to playtest one of my games, I feel like I owe you one, right? And I'm gonna be so excited to test your game the next time, and I'm gonna give you better feedback. So those are my pieces of advice. Excellent. Yeah, it's really solid. Um, so, I mean, similar last question, Stephen, uh, but I'm gonna kind of tweak it as well. But what is one piece of advice that you would give to um, someone that wants to play test and maybe hasn't before or is very new and is, is that kind of stuff in regards to these events? And then what is one piece of advice that you would give someone that is, has been trying to organize and run these events for a while and they just feel like it's not working? Like they're downtrodden, <laughs> essentially. Because <laughs> I'm sure you okay. guys had slumped. So. Okay, this could even work for both. Don't give up. That is the biggest thing. You know, Stay positive. You can figure this out. Um, so if, if you're, you know, thinking about doing this, honestly, this is how I started it, is you just got to do it. You know, you just got to get be brave enough to go through the door the first time and just speak up. And everyone here is so welcoming, you know. So just come out to the event. And like JR was saying, the first time you come out, just try playtesting other people's stuff if you're too afraid to bring your own design, you know, just to see what it's like to get a feel for it. Um, like in Toronto, I only do the Snakes and Lattes ones, but I know that there's at least like two or three other ones throughout the month at different locations, 401 Games and, and other places that have it. So there's lots of opportunities. Um, if, you're, uh, if you're trying to organize your own thing, um, it's tough, you know, you just got to uh, make sure that everyone's on the same page, that people know, you know, the basic rules and try to stay positive about it. Um, and uh, and and try to get out there and post the events on social media and stuff like being associated with a specific location helps because they can help to promote what you're doing uh, for you too to get more people in and snakes and lattes has done that for us so they bring it's so popular now that there's just so many new people coming every month so you know it, it'll happen it takes time you know we've been doing this for five years and I'd say it's really only picked up a lot after about the third year was when it's really sort of hit its peak and its flow. So these things take time, so don't worry. You can do it, but just stay positive. That's the most important part. Awesome stuff. Well, thank you both to JR and Steven for being our guest uh, this afternoon. We really do appreciate your time and your wisdom, and uh, I hope people are encouraged and inspired to grow communities of uh, gaming and playtesting. Uh, it really is uh, a great space and place to be. Uh, I also want to give a little quick plug to next week's episode. Unfortunately, we won't have Sen, uh, but Tiffany and I and um, a surprise third host will be here, and we'll be interviewing Jim Pinto, who we love on the show, and uh, Jeffrey Engelstein. Uh, and we'll be talking games, and uh, I can't even remember what the topic is, but both of them are wealth of knowledge and i'm sure we're going to talk about a ton of great game design stuff uh as they're both um veterans of the game design scene thanks so much and uh keep designing great games we look forward to playing your game soon ciao
Oh, oh, JR, you want to plug, plug it? Plug yeah, it. real quick. Uh, everybody, uh, one of the games that I do play test from Artana, the company I work for, Einstein, is on Kickstarter right now. We have nine days left in our campaign. We are almost 500% funded. Please check out Einstein on Kickstarter. Just type in Einstein Kickstarter on your internet mobile rectangle or your beepily boop. Uh, and also, if you're coming to BGGCon next week, please join us for the uh, the DFW Night BGGCon charity auction Thursday night. So thank you. Thursday night, 8 to 10. Be there. That's right. Woo! Good Sound stuff, guys. Go vote. Oh, yeah. Go vote, America. Go vote, America. America. Go vote, Canada. Go vote.